Hey everyone, welcome to Basecamp, where we distill the science of wellness and human potential into actionable steps so that you can live your best life. I'm your host, Pat Dossett. As a former Navy SEAL and co-founder of Made For, I believe that with the right steps, you can achieve more than you ever thought possible. Let's do this. Hey everyone, in this episode, I had the opportunity to meet with one of the world's preeminent motivation scientists, Dr. Ayelet Fishbach. Ayelet is an award-winning psychologist and a professor at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, who most recently authored the best-selling book, Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. It's impossible to cover all of Ayelet's important research in an hour, but I think you'll find there's some actionable gems in this episode that will forever change the way you approach your goals and ultimately allow you to accomplish more than you thought possible. Hope you have an awesome day and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Ayelet, to uh, Basecamp. Excited to have you here. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Pat. Just to dive right in, this is a really timely discussion. We're approaching the end of January. Um, I know in some of the research that you've done, you found that 75% of people that start the year with a New Year's resolution actually don't complete it or aren't even engaged in the resolution by the time they get to the end of the year. So we're approaching that point where probably most of us uh, have dropped our resolutions. Um, I'm curious, like when you hear that or when you uncovered that statistic, how did that, what did, what did you think about that? Well, you can, uh, you know, think about that. The quarter of the people that do stick to the resolutions by next November. So I, I try to always look at uh, the, the glass half full, uh, but it is true that, Many people are going to ditch their resolutions next month, uh, and uh, by March we'll see uh, an even bigger uh, decline. Uh, what we found is that what predicts whether people stick to the resolutions is how much they are intrinsically motivated, how much they found something that feels right to them as they are doing it. And, and that was quite exciting because no one sets a resolution thinking that this is going to be fun to do. People set resolutions because it's important, because they think that their future self is going to do what's important, not necessarily uh, what is fun. And, and nevertheless, whether it's fun or enjoying or, or just feels right, this immediate positive experience is what predicts whether uh, you're going to be one of the quarter of the people that are sticking to the resolutions. I find that so fascinating. So if I heard you correctly, you're saying that it almost doesn't matter how important something is. What matters is how much you enjoy the thing that you're doing and how internally connected you are, internally motivated you are to do the thing. Did I hear that right? You heard that right. Now, it's not that... Uh importance is unimportant. Uh, obviously, we set the resolution because it was important for us. Okay? We don't set the resolution to eat more ice cream, most of us. Okay? We, we decide to do something that is important, which is, uh, for most people, health-related. So when we look at what are people's resolutions, they are usually about uh, uh, being in a better shape, uh, eating better, uh, being healthier, then there are some uh, financial resolutions and then there are professional resolutions and so on. And these are all things that are important for people. So they decided on it because it was important. But whether they will actually do that depends on how it feels at the moment. Okay? It depends on whether that feels right, that feels good. And 
that uh, surprised us. We thought that uh, the momentary feeling, the enjoyment is going to be equal to importance. It turns out that that explained 100% of the variance. Wow. And so, so then another way of um, capturing or describing intrinsic motivation is, does it feel good while you're doing it? And if that's the case, then you're more likely to continue to do it. Um, is that correct? It, it is, although the, the way you uh, think about feel good, uh, it feels right, I would say. It feels like you're achieving your goal. So we, we think about feeling intrinsically motivated is that there is a fusion between the, the goal that you're trying to achieve and the activity that you're pursuing. Like you, you feel that what you're doing as you are doing it gets you to where you, you want to be. And often it's just the, the fun, Okay, just the enjoyment of exercising, the enjoyment of like being in a, in the company of a, a person that you you love. Uh, other times, it's the feeling of purpose. It's the feeling of flow. It just it feels that as you are doing it, you are achieving your goal. You can also think about the, the alternative, which is these are too far, okay, which is the possibility by which I feel like I'm exercising now because I want to be in a good shape in, you know, in, in 10 years, okay, which is the, like the other extreme, like really do it now for the sake of some future self that is very remote for me at the moment. And the more separation there is between the activity and the, the goal that it achieves, the, the less fusion the less enthusiasm and intrinsic motivation people have. That, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. So the, if, if something is a means to an end, it's going to be less powerful for you, less powerful for you, less motivating for you. But if, if the means is the end that by doing the activity, you're actually feeling the benefit and, and you're seeing the progress in real time or that it's, um, it's enriching your journey, then then you're more likely to stick with that and be motivated uh, to continue on that, continue with that over time. Absolutely. Other examples for how much people don't like to work on something that feels like a means is our resistance to uh, uh, pay for parking or, or shipping or, or gift wrapping. Uh, we did a study in which we uh, asked people how much they are willing to pay. They were actually bidding on a book. Okay, and ask another group of people how much they're willing to pay. They were bidding on a tote bag that contained a book. Now, the tote bag that contained that same book was a better deal because you get a bag and a book, but people were willing to pay less. The reason we don't like to invest in means. Now, this was a demonstration in the context of, of consumption and how much people are willing to uh, pay. But there's also the, the same effect when we think about resources, when we think about working on something. We don't like to train. We like to do the thing itself. We don't like to uh, uh, take a prerequisite class. We want to, to take the class that gets us the thing that we want to study. And, and so often it's really a mindset of thinking about what you are doing as achieving the goal rather than as, as a step that will get you there. Wow. Wow. That's so powerful on the, in, in kind of, I guess, coming back into the, this mindset side of things, and you talk about approach versus avoidance goals and the implications as it relates to motivation and, and urgency and ultimately, you know, finding success. Could you maybe share a little bit about that? And what's going on there when you're when you're in pursuit of something rather than um, whether than you're trying to avoid something? 
is one favorable to the other when it comes to accomplishing your goals? In general, thinking about your goals in terms of approach is better. It will result in, in greater stamina than thinking about your goals in terms of avoidance. And I say thinking about your goals because for most goals, you can really frame them one way or another. You can go to work thinking that your goal is to approach something. Maybe you want to, to solve a problem. Maybe you want to get a promotion or to avoid something. Maybe you want to make sure that you don't mess up. You don't want to uh, uh, somehow uh, not get a promotion. You, you don't want to lose your job. So it's two mindsets that relate to the same goal. And approaching is, is more motivating. Uh, it's also often easier to do. One of the, the classic demonstrations uh, comes from thought suppression exercises and asking people to either think about something or not think about something. So either think about whatever brown bears or don't think about white bears. It is extremely hard not to think about white bears. It's extremely hard not to think about your ex if that's the goal that you set for yourself. And the reason is is really that when you are trying to avoid something, you check yourself by bringing this back to mind. Okay, how do I know that I don't eat the thing that I decided not to eat? I ask myself if I ate it, and by that I bring this to mind. How do I know that I don't think about my ex? Well, I ask myself, and and, and by that bringing that person uh, to mind. And, and so avoidance goes up are hard. Another problem with avoidance goals is that they tend to elicit uh, what we uh, call uh, uh, reactance. Uh, reactance is, uh, is when you don't want to do something just because you were asked to do it. Uh, reactance is, uh, is the child in you that says, I'm not going to do it because my parent asked me to. And, and avoidance goals, in a way, uh, make you react against the goal. Okay, I, I, I know I should not smoke and and therefore I want to do that uh, for example uh, saying that I just gave you a, a, a couple of minutes speech why avoidance goals are bad <laughs> they have one advantage they seem urgent when you think about not doing something that feels like you have to stop doing it immediately when you think about approaching something that feels like well you know maybe I can also do it tomorrow and so we often use avoidance calls, we often tell ourselves and others, don't do that uh, because we want to convey urgency. That's interesting. Would you ever think about one goal from both respects? Maybe you start uh, from an avoidance standpoint, maybe it's the new year and you say, uh, I'm going to focus on heart health this year. I want to be healthy. I want to, I want to move my body more. And so uh, I'm going to avoid sitting at my desk for long periods of time. And maybe that's the first week to get you into motion. And then, and then maybe you transition to one of pursuit where I'm actually going to do things that I enjoy that um, there are many ways that I can just move my body. Have you guys, have you all looked at that or? I like that. No, we haven't. Uh, what we found is about 20% I think of the people uh, set avoidance uh, goals and, uh, and and we felt bad for these people because this is a, these are the kind of goals that we know will have uh, less, uh, less stamina. Um, but we didn't see how people switch spontaneously. Uh, there is research showing that with power, that when people feel that they have power, they think about goals more in terms of approaching desirable states and when they lack power, 
they feel about this more in terms of avoidance. And, and power is something that changes as you move from one situation to another, right? You, you might feel that you have a lot of power when you meet with your employees and that you don't have power when you meet with your bosses or, you know, some friends, some family members that might make you feel that you have power. Other life situations might make you feel that you don't have power. And these changes will affect how you think about your goals. I know oftentimes it's such a part of the zeitgeist, this this concept of willpower and that some people have large amounts of willpower and other people have less willpower. And, and we're all familiar with uh, or the marshmallow study, I think, goes right to this of who can uh, be patient and maybe exert more willpower and um, put off immediate rewards for longer term rewards. Um, but I'm curious, what does willpower have a role to play when we think about approach versus avoidance? And I, because I have to imagine, and I know there's been a lot of talk lately about New Year's resolutions and weight loss, and there's there's a lot of different um, people that get focused on this. But if you have a if you have a model of avoidance, and you say I'm going to stop eating all of these things, or I'm going to restrict in some way, that that over time is going to exhaust you and deplete you, and at some point you're going to almost completely revert to the exact opposite of what you're trying to do. But I'm curious how you think about willpower in the context of, of these two models. I think that willpower is very important for motivation, but it's probably a bit overrated. Uh, and, and it's probably a bit overrated because, uh, you know, we, we know that our motivation is very much a function of the situation. Right? It's not just whether we have willpower. Uh, it's whether we are in the situation that allows us to thrive is whether we found something that we are excited about doing. And, and we know that we are willing to work very hard when we are excited. And it's hard to drag ourselves out of bed when we are unexcited. And so it, to the extent that there is a certain level of willpower in, in Ayelet, well, Obviously, Ayelet can be motivated in some situations and not others, which suggests that that willpower doesn't explain a lot. Uh, so uh, willpower is, is important, but let's not think that everything is uh, is willpower. I also, uh, you know, you mentioned the marshmallow test. Uh, the marshmallow test, there is a lot of debate about how much it really predicts uh, no performance later in life. Uh, the, the replication studies show that it's a very small effect, uh, if at all. Now, this is not to say that willpower doesn't predict performance. It's just to say that there is a lot that needs to happen beyond willpower. And even if you think that you don't have willpower, you might have the right strategy. Back to avoidance versus uh, approach. Avoidance goals are the kind of goals that require willpower, okay? That the goal itself already tells you, you know, I know you want to do something, but you should avoid this, okay? It's like the don't think about white bears, okay? Like you, I, I know you want to, to have these thoughts or, you know, to eat these foods. Try not to do that. That calls for willpower. Uh, approach goals. Often people pursue them because they are excited, not because they were trying to get themselves to do something that they wouldn't like to do. That, that sounds um, like a much cleaner fuel. And I guess if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, it's almost like willpower is a, is a snapshot in time of what's going on with your motivation, but it doesn't effectively communicate everything that is 
going into that motivation, whether the support or the the goals that you have are intrinsic versus extrinsic. And so um, that's why almost it's it's less useful to look at willpower, more useful to look at what is feeding into motivation and why you're motivated and how you can be motivated um, in a way that feels sustainable or exciting to you and to helping you achieve your goals. I absolutely agree. Amazing, amazing. Um, I want to come back to this this concept of intrinsic motivation and, and something that that you talk a lot about is this empathy gap. And I just I find this fascinating, and I think it's something that um, I think it'll resonate with everyone. And, and maybe I'll lead with just a short story. I remember going off on um, going off on uh, you know training you know training missions or, or, or going off on missions or going off on training things and thinking to myself, well, I don't need this. I don't need a jacket. I don't need to pack this food. Like I'll be fine. I'm warm and comfortable now. And like, I can handle it. And every time finding myself in a position where I really wish I had had that jacket or that extra bite of food or um, that in, in many ways I was stacking the deck against my future self. And so um, I always found that funny, but it wasn't until I was, I was reading your work and you were talking about this empathy gap that the, the light bulb went off me. I said, oh, wow, okay, that's what's going on here. And I think it has some really powerful um, uh, ramifications for how we think about goals and intrinsic motivation. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes. And so I refer to the empathy gap when it gets to predicting how our future self will feel, Okay, how we are going to feel and be motivated when we pursue our own goals. There is also research on the empathy gap in trying to understand other people. And the finding there is that it's really hard for us to feel something that someone else is feeling unless we feel it too. It's hard for us to be empathetic to their feelings. Now, the research that I refer to is that it's also hard for us to be empathetic to our ourselves, okay, to our future selves' uh, feelings. And that leads us to set goals that are often unrealistic or to have plans that are often just, that don't fit with the, the reality of us. Uh, to give you an example, I ask my students, uh, I have uh, business students, and I ask them every uh, year, almost every year, uh, to uh, predict uh, how much they will care about their intrinsic motivation in their future job and also how much they care about uh, their intrinsic motivation in the present job. Now, intrinsic motivation is a concept from studies, so I don't actually use it. Ask them how important it is to to do something that you like with people that you like, to be excited about your work, uh, to feel good about going there right now for the job that you have or for the job that you will have after the job that you currently have. Uh, And people consistently say that enjoying what they do and doing it with the people that they like this is important for them in the present for what they do now, but this is not very important for their future job. Now, that ought to be a mistake because if something is important for people now, well, the future is, be going, is going to become the present and they will again care about that. Uh, if what gets me out of bed in the morning is the fact that I have some something interesting to do at work, then th- this is true now and this will be uh, true later. And uh, this empathy gap, this not feeling how much my future self will care about these intrinsic motivators is uh, uh, what uh, makes us often uh, 
not come up with the best plans. L let me also, I think, mention another study that I think will illustrate that. Uh, we uh, did that study, and by we, I mean Caitlin, Willie, and I, uh, where we uh, offered people a choice between listening to a, a loud alarm clock uh, or the, the song Hey Jude by the Bills. Seems obvious, uh, but we paid more for the alarm clock. Right? And given that we paid more for the alarm clock, the vast majority of the, our participants chose that. So we had like 75% of the people choosing the alarm clock because they wanted to make more money. Well, after they did the task, the people that chose the alarm clock were more likely to regret their choice than the people that chose to listen to the, the nice song. Uh, what we see here is that people predicting that they would care more about money than, than songs, uh, but when they do the task, when they have to follow through, they actually regret that because they care much more about enjoying the music uh, than uh, making a little bit more money. Wow! And so, when it comes to when it comes to goal setting, or um, uh, yeah, when it comes to goal setting, and you think about the science of motivation, we may set goals for ourselves that aren't necessarily aligned to, or we may set big goals for ourselves, but ones that we don't. Um, adequately equip ourselves to accomplish or that we don't take into account all of the barriers and challenges that we might face in the present moment because we're not actively facing those. And so um, this idea of can you can you close the gap on that by cultivating some empathy for your future self um, and then create goals that maybe are aligned with um, what you care about, not only today, but what you might care about tomorrow. Is that, am I communicating that correctly? Absolutely. And even think about the barriers right now. Think about what is going to make it hard and what are you going to do when it's hard? Okay? So just understanding your barriers, understanding the temptations, understanding uh, why this is going to be difficult for you in your circumstances is often the, the way to come up with a more realistic plan. I love that. I love that. Um, as we think about, um, as we think about um, getting started, and 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 we we realize intrinsic motivation and empathy plays a role for our future self. Um, you talk about this idea that it's in the at the start something is we're really motivated, and at the end we're really motivated, but. It, there's this squishy middle that we find ourselves in where um, it's really easy to lose motivation. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and how we can think about this this middle problem as you frame it? Yeah, the middle problem is a problem. Okay? We often start with a lot of enthusiasm. Whatever we decide to take on ourselves, there is a, a, the, the beginning and it's often a party. Okay, It's our first day at the job or then no, we just started school. We are very excited about what we are doing to the extent that the goal has some clear end. Okay, And not all goals have that, but to the extent that we do at a certain point finish it, okay, we complete a degree or no, we finish a project. And then again, there is a, this sense of, uh, uh, of a party um, of like, a lot of enthusiasm and people are working hard. Uh, in the middle, uh, this is when it's uh, it's hard. And, and, and it's hard to stay motivated, both in terms of just doing the work. It's hard to invest resources. 
It's also hard to do a good job. It is uh, in the middle uh, where we see people relaxing their performance standards, uh, uh, cutting corners, if you will. We actually did a study in which people were literally cutting corners. We gave them five shapes on a piece of paper, a pair of scissors, and asked them to cut these shapes. And we found that they did a very good job on the first and the last shape, but they literally cut corners in the shapes in, in the middle. Uh, we then found that people are more likely to cheat a little bit in uh, uh, the middle uh, or just uh, uh, work less hard. And part of the reason is that in the middle, you just don't feel that your actions have a lot of impact. Okay? It's, it just feels that, well, you know, whether I looked at the beginning or the end, uh, there is not much impact for the next thing that I'm going to do. At the beginning, your first step is 100% of the progress. At the end, your last step is 100% of achieving the goal. Okay, Just take your last class and you have a degree. In the middle, it doesn't feel like it's doing a lot. And so we walk less hard and we also um, cut corners. I, I found it really interesting you were talking about, and it, and it makes a ton of sense, but I never heard it framed this way, that if you're in the first half of pursuing, pursuing a goal, uh, it's very helpful to look back and to, um, to look at what you've accomplished. So getting started, the, these first steps, uh, building some initial momentum. Um, but then as you transition to the latter half of pursuing a goal, it's helpful to look forward and say, this is what I have left to do. And, um, and it's focusing, you know, splitting it up into halves, but then focusing on which thing seems, um, almost uh, more manageable and more approachable. Whereas if you're in the beginning and you look forward, you have so much to do and like that's not very encouraging or exciting. But once you get past that middle point, you only have a little bit left and that is exciting. Um, am, I, am I framing that correctly? So you just described the psychophysics of monitoring progress in a very uh, intuitive way. I liked it a lot. Uh, basically, now let's think of a goal that has 10 steps to it whatever, 10 classes to a degree, okay? 10 purchases to win a reward. Up until your fifth step, okay? If you look back, your next step will feel like it has more impact, okay? Like, you know, my my second step in this 10-step goal uh, will feel like it doubles my progress if I look back. I moved from one step to two steps. If I look ahead and how much I still need to do, well, I moved from having to do 100% of the work to having to do 90% of the work, and that doesn't feel like a big change. Now, let's fast forward to the end of the goal. My last step will complete 100% of the progress that still remains. Okay, so that's a huge impact, and I'm highly motivated to take this last step. However, if I look back, then I move from 90% to 100%, which is, again, just 10%. Uh, so this is the psychophysics of, of uh, course. There is also another reason why it is very good to look back at the beginning, and that is that when we start on something, when we are novices, when we are not sure about our commitment, as it turns out, when we ask, am I committed, usually we decide that we are committed if we are already have evidence that we are successful, that we are doing something, okay? that we are investing in something. And so looking back and seeing that you've already done something is going to increase your commitment. So this is more the, the psychological effect of, uh, of looking back at the beginning. 
it's so powerful that this idea of progress begets progress or wins beget begets wins and to and to make sure that you're you're almost taking advantage of that the progress that you made don't lose sight of that because that can be the very source of fuel that allows you to propel through maybe this challenging middle part um so that um i really i really like the way that the way that you frame that and, and talk about that i wonder um and you know, I, I recognize we're in a little bit of a unique time right now with with COVID. But how do we think about goals or think about um, things that we're in pursuit of, where maybe it's not so time bound or there's not a definite finish line, and and the middle is a little bit harder to find. Um, and so maybe this is maybe this is a larger question in the context of you know you have something that is a finite goal with a definite finish line versus something that is you know a state of being that you're trying to achieve or I mean, you want to be more present for your family or you want to be the best you you know the best you can be whether professionally or personally. How do you think about motivation in, in the context of those sorts of goals? There was a lot in your question. <laughs> <laughs> Very sorry. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll maybe we'll just start with uh, the two different types of goals, if if it's fair to, to classify them as such. One is uh, a, a definite goal that has a, a finite end state versus something that is a little bit more unbounded, and you're trying to change something reflexively about how you're showing up, or you're trying to build better habits or a better mindset. Yeah. So, you know, I was willing to answer all oh, aspects okay. <laughs> of your question. Like I think I, with COVID, like the, the interesting thing about uh, uh, that goal, okay, the COVID, <laughs> learning to live with COVID is that there was a very clear beginning. Okay. We all remember the first week and you know, we, we just don't know where it ends. So it's one of these goals where we know when we started, we just don't know where it ends, which means that we, it, we'll be often more motivated if we look back, okay? if we look at the progress that we have made. Okay, uh, looking at what's still missing, well, with a moving target, we don't really know. But I think that your main question was about these general goals versus specific goals that have some end. Uh, and if you think about it, all these goals that have a, a specific end point, they are sub-goals for more general, for more abstract goals that will never quite end. Right, like, why do you want to finish a degree? Because you want to have a career, okay? Why do you want to exercise, whatever, four times this week? Because you want to be healthy, okay? Being healthy doesn't have an end point, okay? Why do you want to uh, to do something for your family? Because you want to have a happy family. Uh, well, that doesn't have an end point. And what I'm illustrating here is that. All these goals that we set are often connected to overriding goals, okay, to more abstract goals that are going on with us that are never quite ending. Uh, but the process of breaking these very general goals into more specific goals and often putting a target, putting a number, okay, something that tells us how much and by when we want to, to do something is a way to get us motivated, to get us to be able to monitor the progress that we are making toward being healthy or uh, supportive of our family or successful professionals. And and, and so that these are efficient ways to stay motivated. That um, I, I love that for, for a few different reasons. One is that when you think about the, the overarching goals or the, the the goals that that almost frame up and guide all these all these sub goals, um, it seems like there is 
a lot of power and having clarity of what those bigger goals are because, and I know you talk about um, uh, this idea of multi-final uh, uh, goals and that there are there uh, sometimes there are many ways to achieve the same thing. But now all of a sudden, if you have clarity of what the overarching goal is, there's not necessarily one way to achieve it or, or one path that you have to follow, but there are a lot of things that you could be doing that map to helping you move in line with that direction. Um, it, could you could you talk a little bit more about how you think about that in the context of this? Yes, when we think about the configuration of goals, we think about a hierarchy where there are few very general goals that people have, okay, like maybe health, family, career, okay? And then there are sub-goals below them that are connected to them, and then there are means that are connected to the sub-goals, and, and it's very hierarchical structure. And, and what is interesting is that then we can separate between two specific structures, one in which you have two activities or more, okay, several activities that serve the same goal. Okay, think about it as all uh, uh, all roads lead to Rome. Sorry, I was uh, forgetting it for a moment. <laughs> uh, all roads lead to Rome, meaning I can maybe exercise by going to the gym or by running outside uh, or by uh, uh, doing something with my uh, yoga app. Okay. Uh, we can also think about the other structure where the same activity serves several goals. Okay, so this is something that we uh, capture in the, the sentence uh, uh, feeding two birds with one scone, which is the vegetarian friendly version of uh, uh, yeah. another phrase, maybe more famous. Uh, and uh, uh, this is, uh, you know, I exercise, uh, let's say if we go on a run uh, uh, together, then I get my exercise and I also get my uh, pet uh, time uh, and I uh, also get maybe to enjoy the view. Okay, so I get to have several goals at the same uh, activity. And why is this important? Well, it is important because when we have activities that serve several goals, these are good activities. Those are the, those are the activities that help us achieve a lot with fewer actions. Uh, when we think about the, uh, the goals that uh, uh, are uh, all connected to the same uh, activity that increases our motivation. When we think about several activities that all connect to the same goal, well, these are our backup plans. Okay, and as we know, if we are maybe uh, over 13 year old, backup plans are important to have okay? because often the plan A often doesn't work. Okay, plan B might also not work. And so it's good to have some alternatives. It's good to be flexible. It's good to know that if I cannot exercise in this way, I can do it in another way. Uh, we see the people that really associate their goal with just one means are very hard to adjust. Okay, People who, let's say, only think about exercising as running and then due to whatever life injury, something they can no longer run, are really struggling to find something else, whereas other people are much more flexible switching between means to a goal. What role do others play in goal achievement? So we think about very much, we, we focus on ourselves and the goals that we have and what we have to do and um, you know how we can buffer against maybe future challenges that we might face, but what is the role of other people in our lives and 
um, I, I feel like you had some really surprising insights uh, speaking directly to this point, but I, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about this. Well, they are critical. Okay, a Social support is absolutely critical. Uh, we as humans have evolved to uh, be with other people, to work with other people, and so many of our goals are with other people. Uh, I would say that if a goal is important, probably you are not doing it alone. Okay, whether you're doing it as, as a company, as a you know, as a country, as a family, you are doing it with other people. And so many of the goals that we are pursuing, we are pursuing with other people. For our individual goals, we really care about what others around us think about that. Uh, we need to feel supported. We need to feel that this is the right thing to do. We are looking for role models. And often we find that the uh, best role model is not the person who does it well, necessarily is the person who wants you to succeed. Okay, uh, Watching a, a famous athlete on TV is not going to get you to exercise, is having a person in your life that cares about exercising and that wants you to exercise. So you perceive them as, as wanting you to exercise. Uh, these are the, uh, the role models uh, that, that work. And uh, when you talk about some of like, the surprising uh, insights, I, some, something that never stops surprising me is uh, how much we connect to people based on how much they can support our goals. That is, we... We are drawn closer to people that we feel know us and will support our goal. We think that we are knowing that people, that we care about knowing people around us, that, that this is very central for our relationship. And, and it is important, but it's often less important than feeling that they know us, that we are supported by them. Uh, so there is a bit of... Uh, you know, a surprising effect here where we feel that relationship is about us supporting them. And it, it's important, right? If we don't support them, they will not be with us. But often when we try to predict relationship satisfaction, uh, it's driven most by how much we feel supported. Wow. Wow. Um, that's, that's so powerful and important. I think it doesn't matter in the context of a, of a marriage or a family or a team or a, a community, understanding the dynamic that's at play, I think, um, uh, is, 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 is really, really insightful and, uh, an important thing to focus on. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm curious, you know, of all, I mean, you've obviously been in motivation science for such a long period of time and, and there's so much going on here. Um, one of the things that that I took from from reading your work and, and getting more familiar with your work is that there are there are a lot of overarching principles, and there are a lot of forces that are at play when it comes to motivational science. But there isn't necessarily one way to do things. There's not one way that's right, and really, it's understanding the individual and helping the individual see what. Um, is applicable in their unique situation based on their, what their desires are, or what their challenges are, or what is going on in their environment or who's around them. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like though we have the, the application of these principles at an, at an individual level. 
I really appreciate you saying that because I, I think that this is absolutely critical that we understand that there is a, a no one recipe fits all. There is no one secret that you know you just hear that and and, and all problems are are solved. There. Are, how many barriers? Okay, and I often uh, start by asking, "What's your barrier?" Okay, you, you tell me that you're not motivated to do something. Why aren't you doing it? And the nice thing is that once we understand what are the possible barriers, then we can think about what are the menu of interventions that we can apply to others and to ourselves. And so, in my framework, I start with four general buckets of interventions, okay? I ask about setting the goal. Have you set the right goal? Is it an intrinsic goal? Is it a goal that you feel that you're incentivized to to pursue? Is it a goal and and not a means to a goal? And the second bucket is your progress, how you monitor it, okay? Uh, Do you know how well you do? Okay, do you get good feedback? Okay, are you learning from that feedback? Okay, maybe that's why it's hard to stay motivated because it, I, I don't know how well I'm doing. Uh, the third bucket of interventions is managing multiple goals. Okay, how do you juggle everything else in your life? This thing that you're trying to achieve, how well does it fit with everything else that you're expected to do? Okay, maybe it fits well and so there is no problem there. And uh, maybe it doesn't fit very well. Okay. Maybe you're trying to save money, but uh, you are also uh, planning to make many purchases. So this is just not going to work. Okay? These goals are just in conflict. Uh, and then the, the last one is uh, back to your previous uh, question uh, is the, the social support. Okay. How supported are you? Who in your life is supporting this goal? Who is helping you? Uh, Who is giving advice? Uh, if there is uh, and no one, then that's the barrier. Then you need to find the people that are going to be supportive of the, the goal that you are trying to pursue. And once we understand that there are interventions in each of these packets, now we can think about what best fits our situation. Well, in hearing you talk about the four buckets, um, it it just makes me think about how important it is to to go slow at the beginning uh, and to to take the time to almost bring about as much clear as you can, not only of, of, you know, what is the goal that you're selecting and why is it, why is that goal important to you? And is it the right goal for you? And and, and you talk extensively um, in your work around what happens when you choose the wrong goal and, and uh, the outcomes that can come that um, maybe are counter to actually what you're trying to bring about. And so, but this idea of taking time at the outset to, to think about, am I selecting the right goal? And then also to think about what are those metrics that would tell me, am I, am I progressing towards that goal? And, and sometimes, and I would love your thoughts on this, sometimes there, there frankly isn't a number that can tell you how you're performing. And so there's a level of uh, intuition or a level of um, maybe it's a change in your relationships or it's a change in um, energy levels, something a little bit more subjective and less um, less uh, you know analytic in terms of that. But then on the multiple goals side, I, I would imagine that understanding you know what that overarching goal is, what those sub goals are, and recognizing that hey, at some point you may have to 
move up to that overarching goal and then drop back down into a sub goal. And this idea that you can move around, but you have a larger context of what is the bigger goal at hand, I, I would think would serve as additional motivation and um, maybe even uh, a form of encouragement when you do get knocked off track or when something goes goes astride. And then does it fit with you? Does it fit with your current life circumstance or situations? Or And then do you have the right people around to support you? So I I, I, I ramble a little bit, but all to underscore the importance of how important goals are and to really be slow and deliberate at the outset um, to take the time to think about how you can, and this, I guess, comes back to this empathy gap, how can you think about your future self and what happens, um, what's going to happen uh, between today and tomorrow when that future self arrives and and if you achieve that goal, what comes from that? So. Um, again, I threw a lot out there, but if there's anything that you'd want to pull out of that and speak to, um, I would love to hear it. I love that you use the word deliberate because there is a work by Peter Goldwitzer talking about being in a deliberative mindset versus implemental mindset. And the idea is that when you start on something, even before you choose your goal, you choose the, your specific uh, goal, okay, like a specific target, you need to be very deliberative, okay? You need to deliberate uh, your options and you need to be open-minded and, and really evaluate uh, things very uh, calmly and uh, with, with less bias, okay? <laughs> and we are always all biased. Uh, once you finish deliberating and you're committed to something, this is when you implement and That's a different mindset. This is like the go-get-them mindset. This is when you're just like going full force and you're trying to get the thing that you spend time deliberating on. Uh, there is also related work on people that are more generally in their personality tend to assess. They are called assessors and they are just more thoughtful about what they are going to do uh, versus those that are locomotors. And the locomotors are the people that are just like, go get them, okay? They are just, <laughs> they are constantly on the movement, okay? The, the assessors are, are more thoughtful. So going back to deliberating versus implementing, very important to start with deliberation before you move to implement whatever you deliberated about. Um, I, I love that. And I, I know we, we, we won't have time to, to um, talk through that deliberate process, but you have got, you've got a lot of great stuff um, and get it done where you help people think about those frameworks and the process for being more deliberate when you're, when you're setting those goals. So, um, um, but I, I love that, that you touched on it here. I'm curious, what is, What's your biggest goal right now? Is there a goal, something that you are in pursuit of, whether it's overarching or a sub-goal? And um, does it map to motivational science or is it something outside of uh, your professional work? So I, I just uh, had a book coming out and that reminded me something that I, I often uh, wrote about, which is that positive feelings come from pursuing a goal. Once you achieve the goal, you are a bit confused, okay? You are the okay, so like you know, the day the book came out, it was January fourth. I I was very happy and excited, and it was great. But then, like you know, it was January fifth, and like, okay, what do I do now? Okay, and uh, <laughs> and so I am actually at the point where uh, the big project is done. Uh, I have many research papers that I am excited to. Uh, uh, go back and, and invest myself uh, uh, in each one of them. And then I'm on the watch for, uh, I'm deliberating. Okay? I want to know what is the next big thing. I don't know yet. 
I love it. Well, I think to having the um, the confidence to say you're in the deliberate stage of the of the process, I think um, I think that says a lot. Um, I'm curious. I, I know you had mentioned that um, something that you were interested in, in looking at more is this idea of how you cultivate, how one can cultivate intrinsic motivation when something doesn't feel good. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and what you what you hope to find through that through your work there? Yes, that's actually a paper that just came out uh, where we were trying to understand what leads people to, um, or actually, we're trying to understand how to help people get beyond that, like the first few steps, okay, get beyond that, like the the beginnings that are often uncomfortable uh, and pursuing a goal that eventually they are going to be excited about. So often you don't enjoy what you're doing or it doesn't feel right with you when you just start. And we were looking at it in the context of uh, improvisation. And we were working here with the Second City uh, Improvisation Club uh, in Chicago. And it turned out that when you start learning improvisation, it feels very awkward. It feels unpleasant unless you're some natural uh, actor. Uh, I'm not. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, when my first improvisation class, I mainly felt embarrassed. Uh, but if you do it a few times, it starts to feel right with you. Okay? You learn to like it and, and you can really like it. Uh, and so what we did was uh, asking people to feel uncomfortable. So their goal for their first class when they do the exercises was to feel uncomfortable. And it turned out that those that had the goal to feel uncomfortable felt right about the exercise. It was easy to feel uncomfortable. They were taking more risks. They were like dancing instead of just walking around. They were doing more improv, weird things. Uh, and uh, uh, they were more enthusiastic to uh, to keep going and to uh, continue stand, studying uh, improvisation, developing themselves. We then tested it with a bunch of other activities like writing about difficult experiences or uh, opening yourself to opinions that are different from uh, your opinions. And we found that when people have the, the immediate goal of feeling uncomfortable, they are more willing to engage and eventually that will feel right. Okay. But at the beginning, it's really about embracing the, the discomfort. Oh, that's amazing. So almost with a, a very small intervention where you frame, hey, discomfort is part of the goal, then all of a sudden that discomfort feels good and is a source of fuel for continued progress and, and effort. I guess very much um, almost full, full circle back to some of Carol Dweck's work and growth mindset and uh, recognizing that um, discomfort is not a sign that you're not achieving progress or you're uh, not unable to move towards the goal, but that rather this is what it feels like to grow. Is that Does that marry with, uh, with the work that you're doing? Yeah, so this is uh, why this intervention works, okay? Because when people feel discomfort, it's a good sign, okay? Like I was trying to feel uncomfortable and here I'm feeling uncomfortable. So this is a sign that that this thing is working. It's like feeling the sweat when you're exercising. Like it's, it's a good sign. That means that I'm doing it uh, uh, right. And so absolutely, you're, you're right when we ask people that, what's going on in their mind, uh, they say that like they they take it as a sign that uh, that they are growing, that uh, this thing is working for them. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, to come back to your, um, you were talking about uh, locomotors versus um, assessors and more uh, people that deliberate. I'm curious, is 
is one more associated with higher levels of motivation or or um, uh, a greater goal achievement, or does it just depend upon the individual and the circumstance and situation? So the distinctions that I made between deliberation and implementation, these are mindsets that people go through as they are pursuing their goals. So we, we are all starting deliberating, okay, should I do this or should I do that? Or what's the right way of doing it? And once we make a plan, this is when we move into uh, uh, implementing. The related distinction between those who always assess, okay, those that are much more likely to spend a lot of time deliberating, they are the assessors versus those who are uh, moving, the, you know, the locomotors, the, the people who are more implementing, the locomotors seem to be highly motivated. Like From the, uh, the outside view, those are the people that are constantly on the move, and so they seem highly uh, motivated. It is not the case that they are objectively uh, more motivated. Okay, they might be also the people that are running in circles. Okay, and so they, they might not be necessarily getting farther in life. Okay, but they generate a lot of movement. <laughs> I feel like we all know those people, and some of us may be some of them at times. But these um, almost miserable high achievers—people that, uh, from an external standpoint, it seems like they're doing a lot, or there's a lot going on. But from an internal standpoint, maybe there's some misalignment between the output and uh, maybe the more intrinsic goals um, that could otherwise set them up in, in a better way. So um, I love that. Um, okay, so we, we've covered so much, and, and again, I recognize there's no way we could get through all of your work and research, but um, I'm curious, if you were to leave everyone with one takeaway as it relates to motivation and goal setting, and you know, if you could just deliver one message to someone right now that anyone that's on or that's listening uh, as it relates to your work, what would you want to, what would you want to tell them or leave them with? Huh, one thing. So, you know, I wrote a book and you want me to give one thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let, let me go with uh, uh, giving advice. Uh, uh, here's, uh, uh, here's what I suggest. Uh, uh, when you are struggling with something, uh, give advice to another person that you think is struggling with the same thing. Okay. Uh, even like some someone that doesn't exist, like do this as a mental exercise, give advice, okay? Uh, what uh, we found is that when people were struggling with whatever, okay, with their, uh, uh, their finance, with getting a job, with their weight, with uh, uh, doing their homework in school, uh, when they gave advice to another person that was struggling, they felt motivated by their own advice. Now, the reason that I chose this one thing is that I think it best illustrates the, the idea that we can motivate ourselves, that we can change things for ourselves. And this is really the, the message for my work, that self-motivation self is, is possible. We can change our own circumstances such that we are more uh, motivated. And giving advice to another person is an easy way to just bring to the front of your mind, everything that you know about pursuing that specific area of your life where you're struggling uh, and, and it works, gives us motivation. Wow. Um, well, I know it's impossible to summarize a book in, in one statement, but I think that is, is such a powerful takeaway. And um, not only is it um, 
not only is it actionable, but it's effective from the from the work that you've done. And you know, it maps very well to something that I've talked a lot about. And you know, you see it in training, you see it in operations, and in, in periods of peak stress. That um, there are really two ways that you can go when you're under stress. One is uh, you can focus on your own pain and suffering, um, and that amplifies your attention directed on that, amplifies the effects of what you're experiencing. The other way is to focus on someone else and in, in a way that you can be in service to somewhere someone else, and in doing so. Not only are you directing your attention away from your own pain, but um, in being in service to someone else, you feel the reverberating effects of that, uh, and you feel uh, your own pain is lessened, but your your capacity to to handle is is almost increased. And whether that's from an emotional contagion or just being in service, or um, maybe it's some of the effect of, of what you're sharing here. But um, I love this idea that. Um, you can serve someone else, uh, and uh, and that is actually going to lift up your capacity for motivation and for ultimately goal achievement. So, um, I hope I didn't mischaracterize what you said, but it reminded me of of something that I've that I've talked a lot about, and I think uh, just such a great message for people to hear. I love that connection. I actually uh, didn't quite make this connection until now. So, thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you, um, everyone for, for listening. Thank you, um, Dr. Eilat Fishback for, for being here and for, you know, just for the, for the work that you do. Um, I think it is the work that you do is, is important, but the fact that you make it accessible and you take time to, to share it out with the world, I think, um, really does impact the world in, in a positive way. And so, you know, we talked about so much today from, um, types of goals you can set, you know, different approaches to those goals, mindsets, uh, intrinsic motivation, empathy gap, uh, some of the principles of motivation science. But again, we always come back to the fact that your situation is unique and the application of these principles is unique to you. But if you recognize that that discomfort and uh, the uncertainty around testing some of these things out and applying them uh, in a deliberate fashion uh, is only going to pay dividends in the long run. That go slow now so you can go fast later um, and recognize that when you make the destination, the journey, um, good things come from that. And you're going to feel more motivation um, and uh, ultimately find more achievement through that process. So Dr. Fishback, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, for sharing with us. And uh, I look forward to uh, to sharing more with, uh, with all of you soon. And if you have not had a chance, again, I can't recommend get it done uh, more. It's just a, it's a great work. And uh, it's actionable, it's accessible, and uh, and it's effective. So all things we, we care about here. Thank you so much for having me. It was absolutely a pleasure. Okay. Uh, take care, everyone. We will uh, see you all again soon to uh, to our members and and, uh, and new visitors. Uh, thank you for making time on a, on a Thursday afternoon, evening for some. It's always great to see your faces and uh, keep up the great work. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you for spending time with us today. I hope you learned something, but more importantly, I hope you find a way to use what you learned to get into action and bring out the best in you and the world around you. If you enjoyed this episode or would like to learn more about the work we do at Made For, you can find us online at getmadefor.com. If you like our show today, please subscribe and leave us a review. We look forward to sharing more with you soon. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.